Welcome back to What's On Your Mind. I'm your host, Nathan. Artie, how's it going? I know you were at the ski trip in uh, Utah. Please tell me a little bit more. How, how was it? It was good, man. Uh, spent a couple of weeks out in Utah. Then from there, went down to Telluride in Colorado. Spent a week down there. Then drove back up to Denver. Spent a week there. And just doing some skiing, seeing friends that I hadn't seen since uh, before I had left the country. Did you bust your ass a lot? Of course not. I'm an expert skier. <laughs> so other people do it. I call bullshit on that. You can call as much as you want, but no one's picking up over here. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back, man. Um, last time we talked, um, we were wrapping up 2020, and we were just getting into 2021, and then you left. So today we're just going to talk about stuff that's been going on in early 2021, and you know, talk about going forward what we're going to look at for the next podcast. Sounds good. Let's get it rolling. All right, Artie. So 2021 started with a little bit of a bang. Um, as you know... Literally in the capital, right? <laughs> Literally. Exactly. As you know, um, before Biden's election, uh, we knew that there was going to be a lot of hostile activity leading up to his inauguration. Did not expect for Trump supporters, majority of them, rioting the capital all of them let's be very clear there was no and I'm, I'm giving no I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm giving a little bit of an error of 10 of 10 percent but yes you're right majority of where all trump supporters storming the capital and not only storming the capital but also endangering our senators left and right um i want your thoughts on what did you what what did you think when you saw that what was your feelings and were you surprised at all at how long it took for the National Guard to get there? Yeah, that's a good question. I, okay, I was surprised in that it just, it was beyond me that uh, there would be a physical en masse attack on the nation's capital uh, in the way that it happened. So I was surprised. However, in terms of my feelings for it, I mean, obviously, my heart and you know my heart and prayers go out to uh, the folks who were trapped in the building, and of course, their families. Like, I can't imagine how harrowing it must have been. That said, I mean, our you know there are a lot of reasons for it, and we can talk about it at one point. But our Congress is completely dysfunctional on both sides, right? So, was I like? I, I mean, I understand the anger. Uh, that would maybe push people to do this. Like, I understand that. Um, it, I also was not surprised that it was 100% Trump supporters who were doing this. <laughs> this is crazy nuts with their tinfoil hats out here with, the, with their QAnon beliefs and all of that. Yeah, it's crazy because when I was watching this, I was watching this live on TV just completely shocked like watching one of our greatest monuments in the united states just being bombarded and completely just taken apart by a bunch of idiots and terrorists and i'm going to call them terrorists because that's what they were they were on government yeah, property and they were terrorists the thing that surprised me the most is that the fact is when you talk when they were interviewed and asked why they did it they felt that they were entitled to do it. They felt that that was their capital. They felt like they had the rights. They felt like they had every reason to be in that building. 
And I was just like, how the hell do you think that? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that we had a podcast back in... Back in the summer when all of the uh, BLM demonstrations were going on. Uh, and I think I made the argument that, you know, at a certain point, like, I don't want to use the word justified, but I do think that physical action by the population against those in power is, is necessary to make a change. Um, what What's ridiculous to me is that that was for bringing racial equality, for changing things for the better. Whereas, what were these people protesting? What, what exactly was their problem? They were pissed off because their president was not going to be reelected. And, and let me go back to what you made a point, because you, you did make a good point. I remember us having that discussion, and you at times you said rioting is necessary to get the point across. However, I disagree with you. This is a government building this is not just going down 6th Street and just knocking a bunch of buildings out or businesses. This is a government building where you had a bunch of big-time people in this building. McConnell, the vice president, you know, your top senator, Schumer, um, Pelosi. This was, this was not just—this has no—you cannot justify this riot. I don't think that being a senator or being the, a House speaker— protects you from anything. I don't think that you should be given any extra credit or any extra protection or any extra privileges or anything from for that. At the end of the day, you are an elected official. You are my servant, right? As a citizen, as a voting citizen, you are my servant. You are a public servant. You are not entitled to any coddling because of that. Uh, so, so at least as far as arguments you made, I disagree with. That said, I do think that the entire riot <laughs> was a terrorist act and i do think that is ridiculous and but i think that for different reasons than what you're saying i think it's ridiculous because there was no basis for it i think that it's ridiculous to believe that the election was stolen and that's why you need to storm the capitol no i mean if the blm protesters had for example stormed the capitol demanding race riots or, or excuse me race uh racial equality and all of that i probably would have supported that more you bring up a great point. Um, my argument to you would be, so if that would have been the case and the BLM protesters would have gone to the Capitol and tried to storm it, what kind of outcome do you think we would have seen? I think it would have been a bloodbath. I think that the Capitol Police would have immediately opened fire. Uh, yeah, full stop. I don't <laughs> I think it would have been a massacre. And that opens up the question to me is that, like, there is obviously a double standard and you saw it because there were videos of a bunch of white protesters going straight to the barricades and the cops just allowing them in other others there there was there there were other videos where they were being the cops were being beaten to death or, or whatever but there were a lot of situations where they just let them in i can't imagine if this would have been black lives matter if they would even have touched the capitol and i agree with you there would have been a mass a mass execution. How of much tear gas, rubber bullets, batons, obscene use of force had been had been used against the Black Lives Matter uh, protests for the last several months, whereas none of that happened at the Capitol, right? As you said, there were all of these videos coming out 
of the Capitol Police just letting him go in. Um, there were, I think, in the subsequent weeks and months, there were stories throughout the media talking about uh, some of these rioters who had gone in to look at the Capitol, get the layout, had made friends with the Capitol Police, there were ties. House, um, House representatives had had ties to some of these people who stormed the Capitol. I mean, it was obscene, it was coordinated, and it was 100% a terrorist act, not a protest. Do you think this was staged? Do you think that this, there? I mean, obviously this had to this had to have some plan behind it because I don't think you just wake up one day and say, we're going to storm the Capitol out of nowhere. Uh, like you said, I think like any, unfortunately, any terrorist attack, there's always plans out before it ever happens. But part of me thinks it was staged because the fact how long it took the National Guard to get there, the fact that, that the police really did nothing and were overwhelmed, you know, it makes me wonder like was it staged was this something that they that they w were going to allow to happen in some aspects so staged means that it was fake I, I there's no i don't think there's any fakeness about this uh what i do think is that for a small contingent of those terrorists i do think that there had been premeditation and i do think that there had been planning but do i think that they had planned for it to go down the way it did no, I think what ended up happening is that it got even out of their control uh, and it grew to something much bigger than they had planned originally. But I do think that there had been planning. I think that's come out in the popular media as well. So so one thing I, I want to ask you is, and you know, and, and we, we, we talked about, you know, the endangered lives of senators and the, the vice president, the House Speaker and all that. We didn't talk about the seven people that died. You know, there was there was actually a, a lady who actually I don't know the whole story, but she was trying to get in through a door or something like that. And I think well, one she was trying to climb through the window and she got shot. Right. Exactly. exactly. By a police officer. Right. right. Exactly. And for me, first off, that's a horrible way to die. You know, I mean, it's it's it, it it's it's crazy to think that that you're gonna wake up one day. And you're going to die at the Capitol when you honestly shouldn't even have been there in the first place. Yeah, I, I don't know how much I have to add to that. Um, but kind of look at it this way, right? Who out here is shedding any tears for the 9-11 attackers? Right? I'm not shedding any tears for this terrorist. That is, that is true. And, and that unfortunately... You know, when you make make choices like that, sometimes you could have the most dire consequences. Um, you you made you made a point about how you didn't feel like you didn't feel sorry for the senators on both sides. You said because you're they're kind of servants to us. I, I oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not that I don't feel sorry for them because they're our servants. I don't feel sorry for them because none of them are doing a good job. They're terrible at their job. Right, right. No, no. And that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a valid point. My thing is that for me, it was very serious that you had this mob of angry, pissed off people going into a building where literally you had, if you wanted to, you could have took out everybody in our House and Senate in one hit. And, and, and what surprises me is that not to take that back? It doesn't surprise me. What 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 makes me feel grateful is that one of these idiots did not bring a vest, 
did not bring machine guns, did not. I mean, because you saw how they entered the building without any resistance. You could have carried machine guns. You could have carried a bomb. You could have carried whatever you wanted and blew the whole damn building up to shreds and killed literally our whole government. That, that to me is why this was more serious than anything I've seen in a long time because this was an attack on the people in, in both the House and Senate. And you could have done, you could have took them out if you wanted to. Thank God that didn't happen. But it had to have been scary for them in, in the building, whether you were left or right, knowing that, hey, if they don't like me, they could very well take me out. Yeah, so let me split hairs a little bit here and i want to and i want our listeners to sort of really really listen to my words because i think that i'm walking a very fine line here and i want to make sure folks get it right uh as far as what i'm trying to say on a human level i'm very glad that there wasn't more violence than there was and on a human level I'm very, very glad that our senators and, over, and representatives, our elected representatives, um, did not suffer violence, right? There was, nobody died, nobody was hurt, um, obviously emotional distress, but no violence. So saying that. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't be mad if under some other circumstance, our entire government was wiped clean and we got a do-over, right? Like on a human level, I would never want anyone to die. But like, what if the attackers had gone in there and said, okay, all of you all at gunpoint, all of you all have to resign. Like, we're not going to touch you guys. We're not going to hurt a, you know, a hair on your head, but all of you guys have to resign and we're going to start the government over. We're just going to start from square one because you guys are buffoons. I wouldn't be mad about that. <laughs> so do you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm very glad that there was no violence, but it would have been great to have a do-over, um, hopefully with no bloodshed. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, you're, the point you're making is kind of definitely far out there because I don't think that would ever happen. I mean, because who's going to enforce them to re resign, you know, after they're not at gunpoint unless you're going to keep them at gunpoint their whole rest of their lives until they resign. I don't know. Um, I get what you're saying. I mean, there's been a lot of frustration with the government for the last decades you know, with the fact that they just can't get along, they can't agree with anything. I think most of America is fed up with their crap and understand that they're getting paid lots and lots of money to literally sit on their hands and do damn thing. So I, I agree with you. Um, I think America would like a restart in most, most of these people. Most of these people do need to go as far as being, you know, retire. Um, but like you said, I mean, obviously from a human standpoint, that didn't happen, and we're, and we're grateful for that. Um, but I will ask you this question because you, you, you bring up a good point. So if we did a fresh restart, how does that look? Uh, Ted Cruz lying in a gutter somewhere, homeless and destitute. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> or in Mexico. Yeah, seriously. Lying in a gutter in Mexico somewhere. Uh, um, destitute. I mean, like, honestly, how, how does that look? I mean, like, how do you how do you go about doing that? Because usually, you know, when these elections come up, there are very few seats, you know, that are up for up for grabs. If you're talking about cleaning slate completely and starting from the from the first seat to the last seat, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I, to your point, I don't think that you can. Um, I think that 
what's the old adage? There's a couple ways to skin a cat. Um, so I don't think that A, get, having a, a clean slate is possible. B, um, I, I actually don't know like whether that exactly is the answer. What I think would need to happen would be a serious overhaul of the laws concerning elections, so how one is elected, and what you're allowed to do once you are elected. Uh, so changing our representatives' incentives and rules they have to play by, I think, is a more direct way to go. Um, I'll give you an example, right? So, uh, so I actually... so trading laws for senators, right? If they can trade on inside information. For a long time, that was perfectly legal. They could be sitting on a committee that regulates Big Pharma and then they could place a trade if they knew that a drug was gonna take off and that was totally fine. That was a terrible idea, right? So th things such as, uh, as that would need to be changed and overhauled so as to change our representatives' incentives and rules they play by. So, I feel like some of these rules are tied into the Constitution in some aspects. I think very few of them. Very, okay. very few. Okay, but even the ones that are tied to the Constitution, are you, are you saying that we should maybe rewrite some of those rules? Uh, as far as what governs our senators and representatives, I, I don't know that there are any... Off the top of my head, I can't think of any rules in the Constitution that I necessarily disagree with. Um, it's more, it, it would be laws outside of the Constitution that, that uh, govern their behavior that I take issue with. Um, I think that in principle it's a good idea to have one why because i think that the way that the bicameral architecture was originally set up its original intent was for the house to sort of more closely reflect the will of the public at large and the senate was supposed to be um a sort a check on that public will so senators are there for longer their elections are staggered um, it was supposed to be a room for discussion as to the public will go ahead let me tell you what the public's perspective of the house and senate is very clear the house creates the bill they 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 put it together and we know how hard it is to create a bill and how to be make it even make it anything bipartisan so once the bill's created and it goes to the senate a lot of times it dies and and like you said it checks at it checks there like it, the bill the buck stops there and a lot of times sometimes it's it's necessary to to stop the bill other times i think it's it's just like a power it's a power thing like Mitch McConnell is a perfect example, like you know, with the whole the whole relief bill before Trump was um, didn't win the reelection. I mean, McConnell had every opportunity to get this bill passed, didn't do it, didn't want to do it, took a lot of flack for it. So I personally think that it should not fall on the hands of one person, but I feel like it does because they look at that one person and they feel like, hey, you're our leader, you're our decision maker, you tell us or we tell you. 
and this is the final call. And so that's why I, that's that's the frustration I feel like the American public has with the House and Senate. That I, I think it should be one, but I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I think I think that the rules of the Senate have been abused. I 100% agree. I think part of that is the filibuster, um, and so that's like another rabbit hole that we don't need to get into right now. But the only point I'm making is that. In principle, I think it's good to, you need to have some sort of official check on the will of the public, which the Senate is supposed to act as vis-a-vis the House. But I think that the way that the Senate has been running since its inception, uh, a lot of that power has been abused. Uh, Most evidently in recent memory or semi-recent memory, it would have been uh, all of the civil rights uh, legislation that was completely blocked by the Dixiecrats. Uh, and then leading up to Lyndon Johnson, he got a bunch of civil rights things through, which was fantastic. And then you had some backlash uh, in the subsequent years. And most recently, you can think about all of the, you know, nasty stuff that Mitch McConnell has pulled um, as another example of abuse of power within the Senate. No, you're right. I mean, and honestly, I would I would put a lot of blame with Trump along with McConnell because, you know, Trump created a lot of these issues and created a lot of animosity between both sides, which made it very difficult and very tenuous, very tenuous for people to agree with each other, you know, because there was a lot of, there was a lot of division. So on that note, we're going to talk about Trump. So, um, the last time we'll talk about Trump, hopefully. Man, I hope so. (laughs) So after this riot, um, Nancy Pelosi and pretty much every Democrat possible, some, some Republicans, they didn't make themselves known publicly, but I guarantee you inside they were very embarrassed and very sad about what happened. Hell, they had the freaking count right after the, the same day of the riots. And you could just tell the, the change of opinions, the change of attitude towards everything. You could just tell they were just they were fed up with this, with this stuff. So the Democrats proposed to impeach Trump again. And on this basis, I feel that they had enough juice to do this. I felt like the last time they had maybe gone after him for impeachment, it didn't have a lot of feet to stand on. This one did. What? You thought the last impeachment didn't have much to stand on? I mean... I mean, compared to this, no, I didn't. I, I felt like there was enough evidence and there was enough... Asking a foreign government to I, I, look I, I, into I, 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 I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But he also did that with that Georgia um, um, mayor or, or governor. I guess, and he should have been impeached for that too. Right, right. <laughs> but, but what I'm talking about, already is that people's lives are put in danger. And this guy literally went up before this happened and told his people to go march to the Capitol which basically means he incited a riot that cost seven lives. That's why I say it's more asinizing than it was on the first attempt. Yes, he's had issues. There's no doubt about that. But this time, enough was enough. What do you think on that? Um, yeah, I mean, do I think that he should have been impeached for what he did? Absolutely. I don't know that I have much more to add to that. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 there's not much more... Of- for me to say, I do. I think that he incited absolutely. Uh, do I think that the people around him incited with his both explicit and implicit permission? Hundred percent. 
um, I, for me, there's no doubt there. Knowing that he was going to be out very soon, why do you think it was important for Pelosi to push for an impeachment? Because there was some back, there was some, um, there was some fallback from even her own people on this. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, not only why was it important with him being outgoing, but also why was it important um, knowing that it probably wasn't going to happen, right? That he was not going to be removed or barred from holding office. The reason it was important was because I think a stand had to be made. You know, they just had to sort of get it on the books that officially this was heinous on his that he did commit um was it crimes what what is the uh phrase there is not crimes and misdemeanors it was um whatever it says in the constitution um i i just put in he's he incited it he basically his words influence others to go about these actions yeah i mean the point that i'm trying to make is that it was important for them to do it because it needed to be done. It had to be on the books. It had to be on record for posterity saying that this is the only president who in his first and only term was impeached twice. That's how bad he was. So they needed to get into the history books. I think, I think that's a worth, worthwhile endeavor. Do you think that, and I've actually talked to some people about this, that the, their idea of impeaching him twice was kind of to get him blacklisted to where he couldn't necessarily run again. He was going to be under a lot of pressure if he did decide to run again about being impeached twice. Obviously, history will speak for itself and that he's going to go down as being impeached once and then, you know, not being impeached the last time, but hey, at least it was it was on there. Like, you know, he, he, he was... He, they pushed impeachment twice on him. Yeah, sorry. What was the question? What um, the the question was was Do you think it was like more of the fact is that they wanted to blacklist him? And oh they yeah, wa- exactly. they wanted they wanted him exactly. completely, you know, not to have any chance in hell of running again. Like they wanted to just basically put him in a hole and tell him never to come out again. Yeah, I think they were just trying to smear him as much as possible, which I think he fully deserved, and it was necessary for it to happen. Yeah. So unfortunately, he didn't get impeached. Um, well, he was impeached. He was not removed from office. The Senate didn't confirm his okay. uh, removal. Right, but he was acquitted. He was acquitted of of the second impeachment. That's a misconception. You you are never acquitted from impeachment. That's not how it works. You can so be it, was just, it was just a removal. Okay, this is kind of new to me. So this is just a removal of office. What you're saying? He he wasn't he wasn't he was not be, removed okay. from office. Yeah. So the House impeaches. He was impeached. Right. Uh, and then what happens is that when it goes to the Senate trial, quote unquote, there's no acquittal. Acquittal means that you've been found innocent. That's what happens in legal cases. This is not that. The only thing that happens in the Senate trial is that you can then vote to either remove and bar from office or not. And he was not removed nor barred from holding office in the future. That's it. But if you no talk acquittal, there was no. But if you but if you talk to the people on the right, they said he was acquitted of it. They do say that, and that's completely wrong. Right. And that's something that Fox News pushes and tries to use this word, but it's incorrect. So, just to kind of wrap up with Trump, like I said, this will probably be the last time we talk about him for the most part. 
I, I'm a loss for words on his first term. Like, just how we put up with this for four years and the shit that he created in this four years. Like, I, I pray we never see somebody like this again take a president. I mean, it, this was scary, man. I, I, you know, day one when this guy won the election, I literally thought that we were going to be gone in like the next two months because of his combativeness and his hatred towards certain people, hatred towards certain countries, you know, his his rogue mentality, his, you know, I could keep going. I mean, there's so many there's so many things to describe him by. But I, I was scared, man. I, I really was scared for my life, you know, knowing that this guy was leading our country. And, and, and you know, the fact that we survived this four years, barely survived, I'll say that. Um, yeah, just I would want your thoughts. Uh, let's just pause for a second. About 300,000 people did not survive just from corona. And that's not even taking into consideration the deaths and the huge, huge toll of human tragedy that happened at the border. So let's just take a moment to say that a lot of people did not survive it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, compared to the tragedies we, we've had in the past, I mean, we've lost a tremendous amount of people, a lot of people that shouldn't have died. Um, I just want you just to recap to me what, they, what these last four years meant to you or what you thought. Like, just give me a little little description of that. Yeah, that's a good question. I So let me just start off by sort of responding to what you said. When he was first elected, I remember waking up that morning and hearing that he had been elected. And for me, I was like, this is crazy. A, I cannot believe that he won. B, I was more like, wow, that means that nothing's going to happen for the next four years. Like, no good legislation is going to pass. I thought he was like an idiot, like a clown, like George Bush, like W. But W had some scary people on his side with Cheney, like very effective people. Trump, I thought, was just going to be completely ineffective and just a complete clown. So I was not scared. I was like sad and disappointed in the American population, but I was not scared. Uh, I think the scariness started happening later that year. Like, by that summer, I was like, uh-oh, bad things are on the horizon for this country. Uh, and as time progressed, I think within the next two to three years, I think then I started becoming scared because it was the first time in my life that I remember um, thinking, this is how democracies die. This is how democracies unravel. Um, this is how you see that herd mentality of idiocy, right? Especially on the, well, especially, mostly on the right, of how do you get this large mass of otherwise presumably rational and critically thinking people to believe such lies and hold such hate in their hearts? Um, that's when I started getting very, very worried for the future of this country, which despite Joe Biden's election, I'm still kind of worried about, right? I, I'm definitely still worried about the country. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, when, you know, he won the second most votes of a president, 
you know, that's that's a damning statement right there. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that definitely, for me, it was the Muslim ban that that started for me the the the, the, the fear because when you take a race or an ethnicity and you decide to ban them, that's scary, you know. Yeah, it's definitely scary. But I guess what happened with the Muslim man was I was just like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then almost immediately, judges all over the U.S. started blocking that. So I was like, okay, look, our democracy is functioning. Um, but I think it was as time went on that more and more of this started happening. That I was just like, this something's going to give here. The thoughts were the ones that were scary for me. You know, the way he talked about... Um, the, you know, the Muslim ban, the way he talked about in Charlottesville, there's good people on both sides, including the KKK. Um, you know, there, there's so many that he, he, he said or did. For me, it was like, I, for me, I just could not wrap my head around how the hell this guy is running our country and people are okay with what he says and how he does. Like, what the hell have we done to have our presidency or our president position smeared like this in such an ugly way? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have anything to add to that. I, these last four years, I think the biggest impact for me was, yeah, obviously being scared for the country, obviously thinking that this guy is a, I don't even have the word for it, just a disgusting human being. But I think the biggest takeaway and the scariest takeaway is just losing such a tremendous amount of respect for so many people, ordinary Americans. I lost faith in almost half of the U.S. Uh, I just cannot bring myself to respect them. The last thing I'll say, and this one to me was like the biggest, um, this was like the worst thing Trump could have said um to me and he said a lot but i remember during the coronavirus um i think he was talking to the governors about ventilators and people were dying left and right you know most places didn't have enough ventilators you know it was very frustrating and very scary to see and he said that he thought that they should bid for ventilators you know bid for the ventilators and i'm like this is a, this is the leader of the free world telling his own governors to bid for ventilators when people are dying that to me showed no heart that to me showed that this guy had no fucking idea of what he was doing and that he needed to be gone asap yeah i think for me it was one of his coronavirus um updates that he was giving on tv and he said something along the lines of, well if you take away the blue states then the red states are doing fine. and i was just like this, i I had no words. I, it was one of those things where when you first see it, you're just in such shock that you don't really internalize it. And then days later, it sinks in and you are just like, what the heck is going on here? You know, one thing, one thing I always wonder, and, and you never, you know, with a pandemic, it's, it's very unfortunate. Like you said, people died. A lot of people died. People that shouldn't have died. If the pandemic had not happened, it makes me wonder if we would still have Trump for another four years. That's, that's the scary thing. I think that we would have. I think he would have been reelected if it were not for the pandemic. Uh, and I think that 
terrible, terrible things would have happened um, if he had been reelected. So on that note, uh, let's talk about Biden because, you know, Trump is now gone. He's um, somewhere in Mar-a-Lago, and who knows in Mar-a-Lago he wants to keep him there. Yeah, I thought that he wasn't allowed to go back. Um, we'll see where he ends up. I, I, I could see him like be like Jeffrey Epstein and just go buy an island and just live there his rest of his life. And, and being a pedophile with his daughter and like, oh, I don't know China. about that. <laughs> but you know, just isolating himself completely, you know, from everybody else. But anyways, let's talk about Biden. Biden is coming coming close. I mean, he's about maybe two months away from his 90 days. So let's talk about what you've seen from Biden. What do you, wh- let me ask you this question. What are your first thoughts of Biden, and how do you think he's not, – not necessarily what he's done so far, but how do you think he's – I'm trying to think of the word. How do you think he's done as a person, like? His, his persona, do you think he's been solid? Do you think he's been a little shaky? I'm trying to think of the word to say, but you know what I'm saying. Like, how do you think he's been, like, on the cameras and all that? Because we've obviously seen Trump for four years. So, obviously, Biden's different from that. But just give me a little, a little, a little description of what you thought so far of Biden, just in front of the cameras and what he said and all that stuff. And then tell me what you think about what he's done so far. Yeah, and this might just be a function of the fact that I've been sort of living under a rock for the last month, uh, not paying as much attention as I generally do. But my sense is that Biden has not been in front of the cameras all that much, right? Certainly not to the degree that Trump was. Uh, And I get the sense that that's because Biden has, you know what they say, put up or shut up, and he's been putting up and therefore he's shut up because he's been in the office, putting in the work, putting in the hours, um, trying to get this country back on track. So in that sense, I think he's been doing exactly what he needs to do. I don't think that, yeah, it's good that he shows some leadership and has been in front of the cameras a little bit. But I think that what the country has needed right now has been someone serious in the office putting in the work and the hours. And I think that that's exactly what Biden has been doing. I think for Biden, what I've seen, and you're right. He hasn't been on the cameras. He hasn't been on TV very much. You know, he's he's kept himself very quiet, which I think is good. You know, because he's working behind the scenes. But when I have seen him on TV or given a, a conference or something like that, he hits the points. He hits what he's trying to do. Like with coronavirus, he's trying to get the vaccines out. He's trying to he's trying to not be stuck in the middle of having to open up everything and forget about the mask. Like I can, I can imagine that's probably one of the hardest things he's having to do. He's having to recover an economy that's been suffering from the coronavirus that still is suffering from the coronavirus, you know, and then, you know, we'll kind of highlight at the end. He, we just got the, 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 the stimulus passed 1.9 trillion added onto the deficit, you know? So now, you know, he's having to figure out how this is all going to work as far as the money wise. So there's no doubt that when he came into office, I can't imagine a president with a harder job right off the bat than anybody else. I know people say Obama because of Bush's mess ups and all that. This tops Bush's. I mean, you're in a pandemic. Your economy is falling apart. Your country is falling apart. You know, you're (laughs) you, you have senators that can't agree with anything. I mean... 
you, you name it. There's 20 million freaking problems in this country, and you're not even talking about what's going outside the country. So I, I can't imagine for a 77-year-old man to have to inherit all this right off the bat. Yeah, I, you know, kudos to him. Um, obviously sending all my best wishes and energy so that he gets what he needs to get done, done. Um, I think you're right. I think that as terrible and as much suffering as was caused by, the, by Bush's financial crisis and the quagmire that Obama stepped into, uh, I, I think you're right. I think that Biden has a more difficult job because, yeah, he has the precarious economy, even though the stock market is doing great. Um, the economy, the real economy is you know, on the come up. Um, unemployment needs to come down to more reasonable levels. Uh, there are deficit worries, there are inflation worries, um, getting the stimulus passed, you know, stemming the pandemic itself, um, the vaccine rollout, etc. Yeah, I do think that he has a harder job than Obama. Um, and, and, and like I said, I think that my take on Biden is that he's doing everything possible to get the, to fix this. He's not out here pulling a Trump and just, you know, letting it slide by the wayside. So let's kind of dive into a little bit of what he's done so far as president. Um, we were talking about this off, off mic that he's did a lot of executive orders, 41 to yep. the count right now. And if people don't know this compared to all the, the past presidents, Trump had 24, Obama had 20 something and Bush had seven. So there's no doubt that Biden has, you know, this might be in his first hundred days. I don't think that's in total. Um, but regardless, he has way more than all correct, the other Correct, correct. Yeah, this, I mean, but th that, that, I think it's the point that they're highlighting. So my question to you is, first off, what do you feel, what, do you, what, are your, what is your opinion about executive orders? Second, do you feel that he is, I don't want to use the word abusing it, but do you feel like he's overusing the executive orders early on? I think that there's no doubt that the best way to get things done in this country, by best I mean by having the most discussion, by having the most consensus, and by having the most sticking power, the best way to do that is through the legislative process. I'm not arguing anything against that. However, given the fact that our legislative process is so broken, Primarily, I would say, in the last many decades, because of Republican obstinance, um, I, I, some of the things that need to get done legislatively just cannot get done that way. So you have to do something about the atrocities committed by Trump's legislation and, and, um, and executive orders, particularly on immigration. So I think that if the best way to get kids out of cages and reunited with their parents at the border, if the fastest way to do that is through executive order, then do it by executive order because you know that our idiot senators and, and representatives are not going to get it done. So it has to be done. Okay. Do you think that he is overusing the executive orders early on or do you think it's necessary? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's necessary. Um, uh, would, would I prefer that it would be done through the Senate and the House? Absolutely. But knowing that 
that can't happen right now, then the only way to get it done is through executive order. So I don't see it as an abuse. I see it as a, as a last resort, as a last ditch effort. Yeah, I found it fascinating that um, he's created policies, n new policies with the coronavirus, which that, that one doesn't surprise me. I think that anytime you have a pandemic right now, a very live pandemic, you're going to try to put in your own two cents and how to make it better. Um, immigration was very high. I was very surprised that he was definitely taking um, a focus on immigration and also to the environment. You know, getting us back into the Paris Accords, I think, was was a definite um, push in the right direction. Um, I don't know if you heard, um, again, you've been under rocks, but, uh, you know, thank God for Facebook. They have a lot of information. Um, there was a piece of ice the size of Manhattan that broke off of one of um, the bergs or whatever it is in the Arctic. Jesus. Yeah, I... Um, Just kind of throw that in there. Yeah. Well, I, I think the thing is that, you know, it's hard for us. It seems like a lifetime ago, but pre-pandemic, it was really the environment and immigration issues that took such a big, disastrous hit under the Trump administration. I mean, just absolutely disgusting policies on both ends um, were perpetrated by the Trump administration that it's no surprise to me that Biden took immediate action on those things because immediate action had to be taken. Uh, now, the things along the lines of the pandemic, I know that he has put in a couple executive orders and memos, he being Biden. But I think that for the most part, that hasn't entailed, that hasn't needed executive action or memos. Like a lot of the things that he's done differently has just been in terms of organization. It has not needed any um, official statements like that. Let me ask you about um, the pandemic right now. I mean, we've we've experienced it for a year so far. In fact, I think we just hit an anniversary um, for it here in Texas. March 4th was the first case we had in Texas. And, really? Mm -hmm. okay. Again, Facebook. Um, <laughs> and so um, how do you think he's done as far as the pandemic um i know it's hard to gauge it because it was so, it's, it's so bad it still is bad um but do you think that do you think that what he's done do you think is making a difference do you think it's kind of still waiting to see just give me your little perspective on that yeah i um as you said it's, it's difficult to gauge my sense is that he has been doing a, a good job or as good a job as can be done. Um, if only because he's not on TV saying ridiculous things about injecting yourself with Clorox or some idiot things like that, or he's out there wearing his mask, <laughs> telling the governor of Texas that he's an idiot for taking away the mask mandate and opening up to 100% capacity. So at the very least in the things that are obvious, he's been doing a good job. So to wrap up um, this this topic, um, I just want your I just want your thoughts going forward. What what do you feel like he needs to accomplish in the next couple of months that will reach his ninety day period? Um, what do you think he should focus his attention on, and what do you think he should maybe try to do as far as if if it's possible uniting the House and Senate together, or trying to make some bipartisan deals. That's a really good question. I, and I was not prepared for it. <laughs> um, 
Off the top of my head, what do I think that he needs to be focusing on? I think a lot of the major things he has already been focusing on. Um, so as far as you know, some of the immigration issues, getting kids out of cages, as far as getting the pandemic in order. Um, going So putting sort of those things aside, I do think that there's a lot more to be done on the environment. I think in terms of pushing... Um, clean energy, in terms of pushing uh, infrastructure, in terms of uh, eventually getting the unemployment rate back down, getting people working again. Um, I think one of the things that I think he really needs to do, but he has unfortunately shown a lot of hesitancy in doing, is taking on the issue of student debt. Um, and I know that that's been a big rift within the Democrat Democratic Party itself. And I think that Biden is on the wrong side of history with that one. Yeah. Sorry, my problem. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I, I, I don't really know. I think he's kind of an old school kind of guy that yeah, thinks that if school. you go to school and you create debt, you need to pay that debt. Yeah, the problem is that he doesn't understand that, you know, university doesn't cost $5 a semester anymore. <laughs> this is not 1947. That, that's very true, and I think also, too, that he's probably definitely getting a lot of pushback from his own people on that, preferably Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, a couple of people I can think of that had talked about you know cutting the debt. I think they were talking about maybe doing like 10000 or 50000 Yeah, I think um, 50000 had been on the table. Then he was – he originally, I don't think he wanted really anything. Then people will start saying 50000 or get it all removed. And then he said, okay, 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 <laughs> relax, we'll do 10000 uh, So as far as I understood, that was the last thing that was on the table. Hopefully that goes through, but I think that that's peanuts. Uh, I think that if you really want to see this economy jump, you need to wipe that debt. Let me ask you this question. Um, he's been a proponent of increasing minimum wage, $15 an hour. Do you think that that's his answer to maybe trying to pay off that debt? If I pay you more, you pay you could pay your debt off quicker. I mean, cause I, I feel like I feel like he's kind of like back and forth on that one because you don't want to pay our debt off, but yet you want us to make more. What's the reason behind that? I mean, do you yeah, I don't think that any serious person who's looked at any of the numbers will say that raising the minimum wage is going to put any dent in the student debt, not least because. Most people, well, I shouldn't say most, I haven't really seen the numbers, but just sort of thinking through it logically, presumably most of the people with significant amounts of student debt are not the ones who are earning minimum wage, right? They went to go get that debt and so therefore they have higher paying jobs, so it wouldn't affect them anyway. Um, so I, I think that he's looking at it from as two separate issues. Do you think that, you think healthcare will come up? I certainly hope so. I, you kind of took the words out of my mouth that I think that that is one of the other things that um, he needs to, you know, post pandemic and even during the pandemic. Right. It's obviously a healthcare related crisis. Um, I, I, but I think that he needs to do what he can. But the problem is that right now there are just so many things that are just broken, um, not least because Trump may left a mess of the country. Um, but even outside of that, there were a lot of issues that had to be taken care of that I just don't think that he has A, the time, B, nor the actual bandwidth 
to tackle all of these issues in his first four years. Final question on this topic. What do you think his constituents are telling him right now to focus on outside of coronavirus? Uh, okay, yeah, I was going to say coronavirus. But um, outside of the pandemic, I think it really is um, – I think it's healthcare. I think it's um, unemployment or the economy. And I think it is immigration stuff. I think those are the top three. I would throw infrastructure before um, uh, uh, immigration. Yeah, but infrastructure is sort of a – it's incredibly important. But I think that's more of a this is something we should do as opposed to an issue. And infrastructure, I think, is one of those things that's a perfect example of how dysfunctional our Congress is, both at the House level, both at the House level and the Senate level. Uh, Meaning that I think that an infrastructure bill has not passed because of gridlock in there. Because people keep trying to throw random stuff in there. Or people don't believe in climate change or or whatever the case may be. But that's not a contentious issue. I think everybody across the aisle um, believes in infrastructure. You bring up a great point, and this kind of segues into our next topic. I feel like a lot of these senators, women or men, have these weird personalities about themselves or weird perspectives of how the country should be ran or how things should be done. And there's no doubt that that has created a lot of issues amongst each other. You know, whether, hell, in the same party. You know, we saw that with the election. You know, there were a lot of Democrats that were far left and there were a lot of Democrats that were in the middle. We saw the Republicans, far rights and the ones in the middle. So... We're going to talk about one senator, or I'm sorry, congresswoman, right? Yeah, congresswoman. I gave her too much accolade. One congresswoman. Too much credit. One congresswoman that has definitely um, created some flair, but in a bad way. Uh, Marjorie Green. She, uh, she, she's something else. Um, she is kind of one of those people that I just look at and I don't like. What the hell are you talking about? Or who are you talking to? You know, I, I feel like she just likes to hear her own voice. And I feel like, I feel like she just, she just doesn't care. You know, she, she, she kind of follows that Trump perspective where she's just going to say what she wants to say and suffer the consequences, which she did. She got removed from all the committees, which I thought was, was awesome. I thought that that was definitely necessary for some of the comments she made. Um, my question to you is, first off, talk about her disparaging remarks about how school shootings were staged that Sandy Sandy Hook never happened. Um, Talk to me about that. And then also, too, and we kind of talked about this off mic, do these senators and Congress people need to be vetted more? Do we really need to vet these people more? Like, because, or look back at their history? Like, you know, decide if these people need to be even in these buildings? Yeah, Yeah. let me take the last question first. The problem is that, I don't know that it's a vetting issue because I think all of these issues were known and were public before she was elected. And as she was being elected, people were like, what the heck? is? Where is she from? Arizona, Utah, some state like that. Right. Like, I think people are like, what is wrong with the state? What? what, How can people possibly elect a representative such as this? So that information is out there. I don't think it's an issue of vetting. I think it's an issue of, I don't even know what it is, right? Like, 
it would be unfair to call everybody who voted for her an idiot, but I, like I'm a little bit of a loss for words. Like, how do you vote for someone like that? I, it's beyond me. I just don't understand. Let me ask you a question. I don't know how it's going to come out, but I'm going to do my best to make it sound decent. Do you feel like, you know, this is 2020. I mean, this is 2021. Sorry. The years are slipping past us. They are. Um, I feel like there's more opinionated women now in the House and Senate. Tread very carefully. I I am. I am. But I'm just going to throw a couple out there. She's one of them. AOC is one of them. I feel like. I feel like they came trying to make change, but necessarily, necessarily they, they haven't played the game yet. They've kind of just wanted to go on their own and kind of make their own voices heard, but it's not really doing anything for them. You know, if anything, it's kind of making them, you know, a target for, for a lot of people, you know. I, I would not put AOC in that category, right? Like, I... I, I mean, she's opinionated. That's what I'm saying. She's kind of out there. She kind of she she can make some outlandish statements. Um, you know, maybe not to the point of Marjorie Green by no means, but she is very out there. You know, by the fact that she didn't even vote for Biden, that to me was very sad. When, when everybody whoa, else, whoa, whoa, I mean, I mean what? When, when they did when they did the nomination for Biden, Biden she, she didn't vote, vote for him. She, she voted for Bernie. Oh. Yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. But I'm just saying. I mean, that, she, I don't know. She just seems like she just seems like just somebody that's very opinionated and out there, which is fine. I mean, maybe maybe they want that. Maybe they want more diversity. I don't know. Just your thoughts on that. My thoughts on that. Um, I yeah, I would say that there are now, as opposed to back in history, uh, more women who are in the public spotlight more, right, is I guess how I would phrase it. Um, and so, yeah, I think AOC is a prime example of that. Like she has a much larger persona than other women representatives have been in the past. 100% agree with that. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think, has become, is in a similar boat, but I think not for the same reason as AOC, right? I think AOC was out there trying to make change and was pushing the envelope of the left, whereas Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of gained in for me for being like an idiot, right? And for being a crazy nut job with a tinfoil hat somewhere. Um, and for making really, really disgusting, or holding, not making, for holding really disgusting beliefs. Um, so I think it's very, very different. Uh, that said, I mean, what do I think about this? I think it's good that women are being afforded a much larger public platform. Uh, but I think that the views that Marjorie Taylor Greene are abhorrent. <laughs> I don't know what more I can say about that. I, I just like, I mean, as far as Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, I don't know that I have that much more to say, except similar to Trump, I just cannot believe that this woman got elected. Like, how are you... I, I don't even have the words for it. Like, how could anybody, anybody put in a vote for her? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that's said for a lot of people that just make outlandish comments and you're like, how are these people representing us, you know? There are some, I mean, to a certain extent, right? Like, 
Ted Cruz, I think, is a bag of filth, right? Like, I, I think he's a disgusting human being. I think he's a disgusting politician. I don't believe in anything that he stands for. Um, but I understand that some people hold similar beliefs to him, right? Uh, but Marjorie Taylor Greene, like, what serious-minded person holds the beliefs that she does? Who out there who is a serious thinking, like reasoning person thinks that the tragedy at Sandy Hook did not happen? And even if you didn't believe that it happened, what type of disgusting human being, if you thought that there was even a chance of it having happened, who would possibly condone having someone go up to a survivor of this and harass them? and disseminate this out on social media. I mean, this is just a level of debasement and inhumanity and cruelty and ignorance, but like vile ignorance, destructive, poisonous ignorance, that it's hard for me to imagine anyone condoning, much less you know, voting as a representative. Let me ask you this question, because what you were saying kind of made me think of something. So when she was voted out of the committees, um, of course, mo majority were Democrats that voted and wanted her out of the committees. I think maybe 10 Republicans joined, joined the fight with, um, with, the, with the Democrats to get her out. Why on earth do you think the Republicans are not being more united to to even take out one of their own people. Like, why do you think, like, they are so, they act like, like, she's not saying these things, you know? They watch the videos, they hear the comments and all that. Why do you think that these Republicans just, oh, I don't care. You know, like, kind of like it with Trump. Oh, yeah, you know, Trump said, oh, I could kill somebody and I'd get away with it. Oh, yeah, Republicans, yeah, we don't care. Why do you think they're like that? Like, what do you, what do you think it is? Um, just kind of give me your little description of that, and then we'll, we'll go on to the next topic. But why, why, why do you think they just keep their hands in their pockets and say nothing? Like, are they so embarrassed that they don't want to even put themselves out there? Or do you think that they really just don't care? Because I find it very hard to believe if she makes comments about a school shooting being staged when there were a bunch of kids that died. Can you imagine the parents thinking that? They don't have their kid. So how can a Republican just sit on their hands and be like, oh, yeah, we, we still want her on the committees, especially the Education Committee? What the hell does that make any sense? Help me out here. Yeah, I, um, I think what it comes down to is that Republicans have, um, what's the word? <laughs> I, I, I think that the Republicans have ended up being a party consumed with maintaining and promoting their own political power as opposed to being concerned with the act of governing. Um, they have become the party of we don't need to we will propose the most outlandish outlandish things that we know will never pass. Uh and blame it on the Democrats. 
And then whatever the Democrats try to do, we will just block them. But there is no honest attempt on the part of the Republicans to push through anything reasonable or bipartisan or um, or a willingness to talk with the Democrats to get something through uh, and, and compromise. Go ahead. Let me throw this question to you. If AOC had made these comments and kind of, you know, done this, do you think the Democrats would have sat on their hands? No, absolutely not. I mean, t- take, for example, um, oh, what was that senator's name? Not, it wasn't Barney Frank. It was, um, gosh, what was it? He was a relatively high-ranking uh, Democratic senator <clears throat> and, um, and a sexual harassment conduct came out. You talking about the comedian? Or the actor? Yes, yes, exactly. Do you know what his name was? Do you remember Frank Fink something? Uh, it, it, it's beyond me right now. I know you're talking about Yeah, but the, the Democrats took action, right? They essentially kicked him out of office. Um, and he has been in hiding ever since. Um, so do, if I think, do I think that had the roles been reversed and had AOC uh, said some abhorrent things about the Sandy Hook tragedy, I absolutely do think that the Democrats would have taken some serious action. Uh, and I think it speaks volumes that the Republicans, for the most part, did not. Al Franken. Uh, Al Franken. Al Franken, exactly. Exactly. What? Okay, so I agree with you. I think that the Democrats would have ousted whoever was embarrassing their party. So my, quest, my, my final question to you is, Republicans cannot be happy about the embarrassment of their party right now. They cannot be happy with the way things have been going. But I will say this, that I feel like they are so, they had the mindset of an individual, that, that individuals should be able to do what they want to do, that they should have government involved, they should be able to kind of govern themselves. Maybe they just are in that mentality that we just don't care. You know? I don't know that the Republicans en masse feel any embarrassment. I mean, yes, they lost the election, um, but I don't think that they're. There's no. I, I don't think that they feel shame about what happened in the last four years. Um, or very few Republicans have expressed anything even closely resembling that. Maybe Mitt Romney, right? But I have not heard any widespread um, cries of shame and abhorrence about what they did and the way they acted and the direction that their party has taken over the last four years. Um, so I, I don't know if that throws a wrench in what you were saying, but I, I don't To me, it's less about them thinking about like, you know, individuals' rights or whatever. I just, I just think that they're completely power hungry. I don't think that they feel any shame. I think they're looking back on the last four years and seeing... What can we do different going forward so that we win an election again? It's not, it, it's not an, a deep reflection about where were we wrong as human beings over the last four years. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they are. I think they are power hungry. I mean, let's be real. I mean, the Republican Party usually sides more so with people with money. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. They don't want government handouts. They don't want anybody getting any kind of help. They figure you do it yourself, and that's the way it is. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Um, I think they just don't care. 
I mean, because if she's going to go off on the limb and say these stupid things, she's falling on the grenade for them. You know, she's like, if we might think that, but we're not going to say that. You know, it's kind of like with Trump. Trump said a lot of things that people might have thought of, but nobody's going to say it. So maybe they're just letting her fall on the grenade and like, hey, she's going to ostracize herself and she's going to she's going to make herself look like an idiot. And I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing. I mean, maybe. But I, I also maybe I have more faith than I should in these people. But I, I can't believe that that many people in like as in elected officials believed everything that Trump was saying. I, I don't buy it. I think that they let it slide because they were power hungry, but I don't think they believed it. So I don't think that he was saying things that other people were thinking. Uh, and similar with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I don't think that that many elected officials also believe that Sandy Hook didn't happen, for example. Um, so it's not like she's saying things that they were thinking too, and they're just keeping quiet. I, I just think that they're keeping quiet because they want to maintain power, but they also don't believe what she's saying. When you say maintain power, just elaborate a little bit on that because you've said it multiple times, and I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my head around what you're saying. Yeah, maintain power. So imagine Marjorie Taylor Greene comes out and oh, or let's let's take an easier example, right? Let's say Trump. Trump comes out and starts making fun of John McCain for being captured, you know, for being a POW. What should have happened is that everyone. Both Democrats and Republicans should have come out and said, our president is wrong. This is atrocious. Well, I guess he was a candidate. He should never have been. They should have banded together and said, this person cannot be elected. He is unfit for office. Um, they should have kicked him out, essentially, of the primary. Right. That didn't happen. That did not happen. And the reason it didn't happen is Democrats came out and said that this is wrong. He shouldn't be running, et cetera, et cetera. Republicans did not say that. And they did not say that because if they had said that, if they had essentially kicked out um, a primary contender, that would have just sunk the entire Republican presidential uh, candidacy. Democrats probably would have won. If the, if the Republicans had turned against their own candidates, you know, so this is what I mean by maintain power, that they kept silent so as not to sink their own ship. That makes sense. That makes sense because um, when you're when you're the leader, you know if you're the leader of the party, which Trump was the leader of the party, and you ostracize your leader and make him look like an idiot, you've you've, you've you you look like an idiot. You know, yeah, you've, you've turned, turned your, your back, back on, on your own exactly. kind. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So that that makes that makes sense. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting going forward how they don't have that leader anymore. You know, and are they going to continue if something is said outlandish by their own party people? Are they going to continue to remain quiet? You know, but that being said, um, we're going to move on to our last topic. And huh, another Republican. Um, Go figure. Our, our, our great governor, um, Governor Abbott, uh, this past week finally decided. In his mind, and we kind of knew this was happening. I I, kept, I read a lot of things saying that the next big thing that's going to happen is he's going to move the mask. Um, question. So, first off, what are your thoughts on that? Second of all, do you think he was pushed so hard by small businesses here in Texas to do it? Um... 
Okay. I... So, what do I think about it? I think that it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life, right? <laughs> I mean, flat out. Like, the guy's an idiot. Uh, back when he first repealed the Texas... Clo well, first of all, he was late in closing Texas. Then he, like, repealed it in the middle when it's first it, when it started working. Like, already, I was like, this guy needs to go, right? Like, kick this guy out. Um, now... Given the death toll that Texas has, it is, again, beyond me how he could even fathom removing the mask mandate and opening up businesses to 100%. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I don't understand it, right? Do you think this, because it's a conservative state, that, you know, this was, again, like, I think he got a lot of push from small businesses. He got a lot of push from his constituents. Yeah, yeah. So, so the second part of what I was going to say was that, yes, I think that what happened was that he, given how deeply red Texas is, uh, as far as the voters themselves, not eligible voters, but actual voters, um, he, he was getting a lot of pressure from his constituents to take an extreme step like this. Um, he was also, was it him or was it his uh, attorney general? I don't remember. Uh, under, I think he was the attorney general under Obama, who he just kept suing Obama for the most ridiculous things just to block everything. Um, I think he put in some record number of like lawsuits against Obama uh, during Obama's presidency. But that, that's just who he is. He is a nut job, an ignorant nut job, um, who just fundamentally does things that are bad for people, humans. <laughs> I guess, I guess for me, it's like, I get it. You know, you're a small business owner. You're not making a lot of money. You're a restaurant owner. You're not getting a lot of money. But to tell me that it's time to open up everything at a hundred percent is just so stupid. Like the same day he told he 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 went on TV and said he's gonna remove the mask mandate. There were eight thousand new cases of COVID in Texas. That's, That's wild. wild. And and look, I, I do I think that opening up to one hundred percent capacity was wrong. Yes, but I that like pisses me off less than the mask mandate. Like if you are going to open up to a hundred percent. At least tell people to wear masks inside, right? Like, wh <laughs> this? Why? Why would you do both, right? Or keep businesses shut and then remove the mask mandate because then people can't go to businesses. But doing both of them together is just sheer idiocy. I'm gonna ask you a question, and I want to—I'm interested to see what your answer is because um, it's gonna be a little out there. Do you think he believes in coronavirus? I think he believes in it. I don't think he cares. Have you seen that meme going around from Shrek with the, uh, the prince or the king who's standing giving a speech and he says, it's a big sacrifice. You all dying is a big sacrifice, but it's the one that I'm willing to make. And I think that's exactly him. He's like, yeah, I want to get elected. I don't really care how many people die because of coronavirus. I, I don't think he cares. I don't think he, I don't think he believes in it. I think he's one. I think he's one of the most pe one of those people in here in Texas because we know them all that think this is a hoax. Think this is just the damn flu all over again, and um, 
and there's no there's no reason to be concerned and you know i i, I just I, I don't think he believes in it i really don't i think that i think there's enough evidence with him in the past that i i, I agree with you man I, I i don't think he cares too i mean i'll i'll go back to um i'll go back to the recent snow thing we had here i mean the way he handled it how poorly he handled it you know just not prepared i mean it just it just it just mind boggles me like dude texas is one of the biggest states one of the most prosperous states and you're an idiot <laughs> you're you're a freaking idiot and, and, and i guess it shouldn't surprise me already because most people that go come from texas that are politicians are freaking idiots you know, unfortunately, that says about us, too. That's why people think we're idiots, you know. But I just don't understand. I, I just – I cannot wrap my head around how you don't see this as an issue. And if it's more about the money, then just come out and say it. Say, hey, we need more money in this state. I don't care about people dying. I don't care about your health. We need more money in this state. Just come out and say it. Don't Don't, don't beat around the damn bush. Yeah, I, I don't know what more I can add to that. Um, it's just truly one of those decisions that, you know, people 10 years from now, 20, 30, 50, 100 years will just look back and say, what was this guy thinking? Like, what what was going on that he would do such an irresponsible and tremendously negligent thing? Here's a final question, and we're going to wrap up um, today's podcast. Do you think that outside of Texas, because he already did it, other states should 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 to get a percentage of people vaccinated before they open up their state at full capacity? That's a really good question. I would have to look into it a little bit more. I'm not sure if I have a real view on that, um, because as you said, it is a balance between maintaining people's livelihoods, uh, and keeping people safe. But the thing, as I'm saying this, the thing that annoys me is that it's kind of a false choice also because maintaining people's livelihoods, that does not have to happen with people being employed. It could be a little bit more like Europe where the government gave people salaries and that's how they maintain their livelihood, that they shut down the economy, but they were still getting paid. Um, so that's certainly an option that could have been done here in the U.S., but was not. Uh, so, so I guess my answer to you is that I think that there are a lot of other things that could have been done besides opening up the economy. I think that was a false choice. The reason why I ask you that question is because I read an article from, from Fauci that said that 75% of the country has to get vaccinated before we can get rid of the mask. And, and oh, okay, but those are two different things, right? Opening up and the, getting rid of the masks. Those yeah. are two different issues. So, so do, do I, I think, think that um, we should have opened up? I'm a little bit more, you know, ambivalent on. But the thing that I stand very firm with is that there should be a countrywide mask mandate. Everybody should be wearing a mask everywhere in public spaces. That, I think, is flat out, and I stand behind that. Okay, final question, because it just brought me one more question. Um do you think Biden should step in? If let's say let's in. say let's say if Texas starts seeing spikes again and Abbott's sitting on his hands, not doing anything about it, 
do you think Biden should step in and, and make him put uh, put the mandate back on? I think he should. I don't think he can constitutionally. I think that's the issue. That's the limiting factor. Um, because otherwise, I, I, I genuinely do believe that I think that Biden would have stepped in in a more serious way. Um, because ultimately, he's kind of in charge for the mess that the governors make, right? Uh, and to me, I don't see... Abbott going back again you know he's done it twice no he would never close down so i mean it i mean if we see spikes and and craziness here i can't see him going back and doing it again and if anything he'll lose even more support from his so-called supporters so i mean we're we're stuck We're, we're stuck with whatever happens so he's put it out there and he's basically said whatever happens happens i'm not going back on it because i'll look like a freaking idiot so that's why I just asked you. I mean, you're right. I mean, unfortunately, he doesn't have that kind of power. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't see him changing his mind. So no, you know, I don't God, God help us all. all that, you know, we, we you know, people still. The, the good thing I will say about this, Artie, is I've been out. Like, I've been, I've been to the store. I've been to the mall. People are still wearing masks. Yeah, I, you know, to your point, uh, I agree with you. I've been very pleasantly surprised at how smart people have been in that despite this idiot governor's um, mandate around the mask mandate, uh, people have continued wearing their masks. So I'm really happy about that here. I will say that was not the case in West Texas. Nobody's wearing masks out there. You must read my mind very well because I was about to say the rural states, the rural countries or counties probably don't give a crap, probably didn't give a crap in in the first place. That's um, Trump country. I'm, I'm very encouraged that HEB, Walmart, yes, CVS, yes, yeah. Walgreens, H-E-B. all the Ooh. big stores have all said we're still going to make our employees wear masks, and we encourage you to wear a mask. You know, so kudos to them. Um, Let's just put it out there: we are not paid by HEB, yeah. but HEB hit us up if you do want to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> but uh, I love great. HEB. I yeah. mean, HEB throughout this pandemic. They have been so steadfast. They have done everything right, right? Like they have been um, very tough on the mask mandate. They have been extremely diligent in stocking their shelves when the pandemic first started. They did everything to get uh, for employee safety. Uh, even even though I wasn't here, from what I hear, um, during the snowstorm when power is out, they were doing everything to try and keep their shelves stocked, try and get food to folks be good to their employees. HEB has been a paragon of corporate responsibility and I commend them. I commend them. Exactly. I was about to say, if HEB was a person, I would absolutely vote for them for governor, for the presidency. I mean, they have been, they've done Texas a solid. It's, it's, a, lo- it's, it's a local, it's a local business that's grown into a huge business, but they, they understand that they need to be at the forefront if stuff hits the fan. And when, during COVID, HEB was there. During the snowstorm, HEB was there. They might not have had everything, but damn it, they had enough to, to get the essentials. To, to, exactly, they had there was to keep the state the, running. The final, final thing. There was a, there was a story. I think it was in Pflugerville or somewhere in North Austin. They ran out of power. HEB. 
everybody in the store took what they had without paying. They said that you could take it home. Wow. I mean, wow. imagine, imagine these HEBs. These things That's are wild. huge. Yeah. Probably hundreds of people in this HEB. Yeah. And when the power went out, they said, whatever you have in your carts, take home. That's wild. I've, I've never I, heard of it. I've That's never heard of that either. HEB, I don't know who runs HEB, but kudos to them. They got our respect from this yeah, podcast. They, I, will never, I will never bash HEB. I, I will never bash because they're always there for us. That should be their mantra. We're always, always there, there for, for you. your for the Texans. <laughs> always there. Always there for Texas. Yeah. yeah. Unlike yeah, the governor. Awesome. Unlike the governor. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Man. Awesome. Well, Artie, we're gonna wrap up the podcast. Um, a lot of good stuff. Um, give me your two cents so far. What 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 has twenty twenty one looked like for you right now? What does twenty twenty one look like for me? I I am reasonably optimistic. You know. Given the circumstances, um, circumstances notwithstanding, I'm reasonably optimistic that now with Biden at the helm, with Democrats in control of both the House and the Senate, uh, with HEB still start running strong, <laughs> I think that we, uh, we've got a long hill to climb, but I think that we're going up the hill, not coming down it. I totally agree with you. I think that um, 2020 was a dark tunnel, that there was no light in sight. And it seems like, you know, into last year with the vaccine coming out, another vaccine's coming out. Um, people are still wearing the mask. People are understanding what's going on. Um, you're not seeing as much um, racial issues, you know, at least not publicly. I mean, we know that still it's still very prevalent, but for the most part, it's been kind of quiet. Um, I think people, I think people are just more understanding of of the need to respect but also to the need to be prepared can i just say i don't think that people are more that way i think the difference is that our leadership has changed and it's now back to being not okay to be a complete public racist that 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 is true but what i say is i think just people's perspective of themselves or other people has changed a little bit like people well, understand so. that there yeah. has to, that, that like I've always said, there it's okay to be uncomfortable in certain situations. Also, too, people are need to understand you need to be prepared because you just never know what's going to happen. Whether it's COVID, whether power goes out, people need to be more aware that stuff can hit the fan and you have to be ready. If you're not ready, you're going to be left behind. I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's to be prepared. And so on that end, I agree with you. Awesome. All right, Artie. Well, we've wrapped up the podcast. Um, so our next podcast, we, we're not. For, it hasn't been one hundred percent confirmed yet, but it looks good. One of my friends is going to come on the show, and I'm literally going to let you debate her. I will. <laughs> okay. I will. I will moderate. I will moderate, and I will ask questions. But I'm going to let you debate her because she actually is. She was a Democrat for a very long time, and I, she voted for Trump to get reelected, and she's been Wait, very— did she vote for Trump the first time around, or no? I do not believe so. No. Oh, wow. She was a, she she was was a, a Democrat, Democrat all the way through. Wow. And, but she voted for Trump. And for the re-election. For the re-election. 2021. Correct. And she has been very, very right a lot um, so far 
like with her perspectives, her comments, all that. Like she's not not, not right. Like she's, she's been on the right side, side. Uh, as in not correct. She has not been correct. She has been a conservative. She's been <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. She's to the she, right. She, she's she's more the on the right. right. Correct, correct. Okay, yeah. so, thank you for clarifying that. But yes, she has a lot more right wing comments, a lot more right wing perspective now. So we're gonna talk about talk to her about what changed. You know, was it just was it just the president? Was it just you don't like Biden? I mean, I want to know. I want to know what changed. She's got a fascinating story, I'm sure, behind it. So yeah, that's gonna be our next podcast. Um, Yeah, so we're gonna have fun with that one. Um, But that'll be our next podcast. So um, yeah, we're gonna sign off. Yeah, definitely, we're gonna sign off for the night. Y'all have a good one. Thank you.